Grace 412 podcast listeners, I hope you're having a great Thursday. I hope that you're excited as we continue in this series, As For You, as we study out the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, We've been going over this the last few weeks. Last week, we went through all of chapter 1 and talked about things that we can do uh, when life is difficult. Paul was writing to Timothy from prison, where he was potentially awaiting a trial to be put to death. He's writing to Timothy, who's in a difficult situation of his own at Ephesus, and he gives these charges, these challenges to Timothy. And one of those uh, last challenges that we looked at was for us to find the why. Paul said in verse 12 of chapter 1, hey, I know what I've believed and I'm persuaded that God is able to keep that. He's, he's talking about this eternal purpose that he lived for. But for us, we were challenged with this idea. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we have the goals that we have? Why do we believe what we believe? And so as we go into 2 Timothy chapter 2, we have that same thought. And so last night we looked at literally the entire chapter, and there is just a ton of information and a ton of meat here. So this might be one that uh, you don't listen to on double speed, but you listen to uh, on just the regular speed and maybe even have to listen to again as we study this out together. We'll jump into it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so if you remember, we ended chapter one last week, Paul did in verse 15 saying, hey, uh, Vigilus and Hermogenes, they bailed on me, they backed out. But he says, Onesiphorus, as for him, he stayed faithful. And then in chapter two and verse one, he jumps right back into it and says, now you therefore As for you, Timothy, he says, be strong in grace and the things that you've learned, commit those things to faithful men. Paul says, listen, this cannot be the norm. He said, people falling away from the the faith, people bailing on one another, people abandoning the gospel, it cannot be the norm here. We've got to reshape the culture. We have to change this generation. We have to end the cycle. He says, these guys are falling away from the faith, but they're, they're leaving. But as for me, as for Onesphorus, as for you... He says, endure hardness or embrace suffering. He says, I want you to commit this to faithful men, the truth. Teach others the right way to live. The first thing we do in this is that we lead the way with humility. We're going to see this throughout all of 2 Timothy chapter 2, but specifically in the first couple verses even, Paul nails it. In verse 1, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. And then in verse two, he says, and embrace suffering, endure hardness as a good soldier. This this idea that we are humble in our approach and we're humble in our leadership. It's easy for us to complain about the way that the world is going or the fact that people are falling away or the fact that people are abandoning the faith or the fact that people do things that we don't like. But we haven't necessarily stepped back and and asked ourselves, what have we done to challenge or to change that? Paul says, as for you, Timothy, you find some people to serve alongside. Commit the truth to faithful men. You find some people to lead, and then you lead by example. How? He says, by embracing suffering. It's this humble approach that we take where we say, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to lose. I'm willing to forsake all to live for Christ. Another word that we could put in place of humility there is selflessness. We lead the way with selflessness. 
The success of my Christian life hinges on the awareness that it is not about me. The reality that that God is doing something in and through us. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, I want you to commit the truth to faithful men, and I want you to be ready to embrace suffering. I want you to endure the hardness like a good soldier of Christ. And then he expounds on this thought in the next couple of verses. In in verse 4, he says, No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath been chosen to be a soldier. He says, hey, a soldier doesn't get mixed up in everything else going on around him, but he's focused on the mission he was given by his commander. Verse five, he says, if a man also strive for masteries, is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? He's, he's talking about uh, people even back then in the Olympics or people that would uh, work hard to win a game or to become the best at something. And he says, hey, uh, doesn't it not matter if they cheat? He says they've got to strive lawfully. They've got to play by the rules. Verse 6, he says, The husbandman that laboreth must first be a partaker of the fruits. He, he says, hey, if somebody's working in a field, they're not going to do that if they're not already a part of the family, especially back in their day and their time and their culture. And then he elaborates on all of this in verses 7 through 9. He says, Consider what I say, the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. He says, hey, this all applies to you. Just like verse 4, you've been given a command. Like a good soldier, you've been given a mission He says, uh, like verse 5, you've been given a set of rules, a set of principles, uh, a set of guidelines, a set of standards, a conduct of living. But most importantly, verses 7 through 9, he says, you've been made a part of the family. Uh, Verses 7 and 8, he says, just like Jesus was a part of David's family, you have been made a part of the family of God now. You are partaker in the inheritance of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And he says, with all this in mind then, in verse 10, he says, therefore, with all this in mind, he says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's a ton of doctrine here that we've talked about at length before, but basically he's saying, hey, if we're dead with him, we'll live with him. If we suffer, we can also reign with him. It's this idea of us surrendering our lives here on this earth and living for eternal purpose. It's the reality that we have joined our lives to Christ. We have joined our fate to his. And then he says, if we deny him, he'll deny us. And that gives you this idea like, oh, so God's going to abandon us. He's going to forsake us. But then it says, if we believe not, yet he abides faithful, for he cannot divide or he cannot deny himself. And again, this is a proof that this is not a lose your salvation, win your salvation. Instead, this is referring to our, our faith walk, our Christian walk. He says, even when we lose faith, even when we deny him, yes, he will let us go our own way. Uh, If we forsake the gospel, if we deny the truth, if we deny the reality of who Jesus was, yes, God will deny us. But then it says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
And that goes back to verses 7 and 8. It goes back to verses 9 through 12 where he says, hey, if you have believed the gospel, if you've tied your lives to Christ, he cannot deny himself that when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus, and therefore he will abide faithful even when our faith is small, even when we lack the belief that we need even when we don't trust him, though we should. It says he abides faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. But you go back to what Paul said in verse 10, where he uses that word, therefore. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, for the sake of those who will believe, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's talking about those that will believe the gospel. And he says, listen, I'm willing to endure all things. He's he's actually pointing Timothy to his leadership, to Paul's leadership, and saying, as for me, Timothy, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to lead selflessly. I'm willing to lead with humility for the sake of those that will believe the gospel. It's this selfless mentality that comes with this leadership, where Paul says, Timothy, I want you to, to commit the truth to faithful men, but here's what I'm doing, by the way. I'm doing the same thing. Um, A life of selfishness, and we've talked about this before, a life of selfishness will be lived in pursuit of satisfaction, status, and security. But a life of selflessness will replace satisfaction with sacrifice. It'll replace status with serving. It'll replace security with suffering. He says, I endure all things for the elect's sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those that will believe. It's this idea, remember, that we say it's not all about me, but it's about the the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the glorious hope of the gospel. The, The reality when we say it's not all about me leads us to ask this question, what can I contribute to the world that will have an impact on eternity? What can I contribute? And this isn't, oh, what do I have conjured up within myself that I have to offer? But it's instead, what has God called you to? What has God gifted you with? What has God given you the special ability for that you can contribute? How can you give back? How can you serve? How can you contribute to the world in a way that will impact eternity. And this question does not come naturally for us. And that's why the second thing is this. We pursue our calling with focus. We pursue our calling with focus. We focus in directly on what it is that God has for us. You look at verse 14. He says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. He says, study to show thyself approved in the God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So twice in this text, he says, hey, listen, avoid vain babbling. And he says, don't strive for words that are of no profit. Simply put, he's saying, listen, talk is cheap. Quit babbling on, quit rambling on about things and stuff. He says in verse 15, but instead, as for you, Timothy, 
Study to show yourself approved. He says, rightly divide the word of truth. We get laser focused on what is true. That's why last week we ended by saying, we hold fast to what is true. He then again uses a a kind of negative example and calls people out by name. He says, Hymenaeus and Philetus, he says, these guys have erred from the faith. Um, They're basically uh, explaining that the resurrection had already happened. They're they're denying uh, bodily, physical resurrection for those that have believed the gospel. And uh, he says basically that they're eating away at the gospel like cankers. If you've ever had a cold sore or a canker sore or maybe something similar where you've like burned the roof of your mouth and you have that sore and it just wilts away at the flesh, it's just nagging. It hurts to eat, it hurts to drink, it hurts to swallow, it hurts to talk. And he says, that's what's happening. You get mixed up in all this nonsensical stuff. He says, you call it doctrine, but it's not. It's just intellect. And then all of a sudden, we're not even using scripture anymore. Verse 18, he says, they're saying that we've already been resurrected. They're using their own intellect to try to understand something that Jesus said they're never going to understand fully. And that's obviously not something that we maybe struggle with uh, currently, doctrinally, theologically, but we definitely do get distracted. We definitely do struggle with uh, falling away from the things that matter and get caught up in vain jangling, as it's said, or babbling or pointless words of no profit. Simply put, let's just say it this way, in regards to being focused on God's call for our lives, be careful of people who have scriptural conversations that are centered around what they think and not what the word of God says. That's what Paul's telling Timothy two different times, verse 14 and verse 19, he says, hey, be careful of people that have scriptural conversations centered around what they think and not around what the Word of God says. People say, I think God would, or I just feel like, or maybe what Paul meant, or maybe what Jesus meant was. But Paul says, hey, you study Scripture so that you can say, what does the Bible say about this? That's why in verse 19 he says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. In verse, I think it was 9, he says, the Word of God is not bound. We, when we are being laser-focused, use Scripture as our only source for truth, and we pursue our calling with focus. The reality is when we do that, we should be too busy serving others. We should be too busy pursuing Jesus. We should be too busy loving God and loving others to get caught up in all the nonsense. And he continues this thought then in verse 20. He says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call upon him the Lord with a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. So verses 20 through 23, he again continues this theme of focus. Uh, We kind of outline it. Verse 20, he basically says, avoid the stuff that doesn't matter. He calls it wood and earth. He says, this is going to burn up in the end. It's it's not going to matter in eternity. Verse 21, he says, now prepare for a good work. Verse 22, he says, I want you to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness with them that follow Jesus with a pure heart. And by the way, um, we are not going to be successful fleeing lusts without having some accountability, without pursuing righteousness together. Um, The darkest sins happen in secret, and that's 
ever the case with lust. Um, verse 23 then, he says, again, avoid foolish questions. Avoid this uh, chit-chat, this, this pointless, nonsensical conversation. He says, knowing that these things, these foolish and unlearned questions, just gender strifes. They just stir up division. Again, he's basically saying, hey, quit chasing after the things that don't matter. The call for us is much too great and the stakes are way too high. But one thing that's important for us to note as we think about this is um, it is almost impossible for the brain to process in the negative command. So basically what we're saying here is, is uh, if, if I were to say, don't think about puppies, or don't think about uh, your favorite color, or don't think about a song, um, you instinctively have to think about that because your brain has to tell you not to think about that thing, right? Um, it's the same reason somebody used an example when we see skiers going through slopes that are uh, in the middle of the mountains with rocks and crevices everywhere and trees everywhere, and we think, how do they not hit a tree? How do they not hit a rock? Well, they don't miss each of those things by looking at each specific tree or each specific rock because they would miss one while worrying about the other. But what they do is they get laser focused on the clear path ahead and they follow the path that is laid out before them one by one by one by one move at a time. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to realize we don't avoid the trees by looking at each of them and trying to tell ourselves to avoid them as much as we succeed by looking uh, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's why it's not avoid or flee, but it's pursue our calling with laser focus. It's why he doesn't just say avoid stuff like he says in verse 20, but in verse 21 he says prepare for a good work. It's why he doesn't just say flee youthful lusts, but instead he says but also pursue righteousness with others. It's why he doesn't just say avoid foolish conversations, but back in verse 15 he says no, instead study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. We'll never succeed by only focusing on the negative command. Many of us have seen it time and time again, especially growing up in conservative or Christian backgrounds. We have all these walls put up and all these standards and all these codes of conduct, but when doing things in our own flesh, we're focusing so hard on what not to do that we forget about pursuing Jesus. We forget about pursuing righteousness. We forget about developing a true love for God and a love for his word. And we fall into secret sin. We fall into temptation. We fall into frustration. But instead, Paul says, hey, avoid the distractions and get laser focused on your calling that God has given to you. With laser focus, we pursue the call that has been placed on our lives to love God, to love others, so much so that we will not be distracted by anything else around us. We wrap this up going to verse 24, and he says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they will recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And so real quick breakdown, verse 22, he says, hey, don't do this alone right? He says, uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive, be gentle in all men, able to teach, be patient. He's reiterating what he said about commit that of faithful men. Uh, verse 23 and 24, he says, hey, you don't need to strive. He says, be gentle, be patient. And then in verse 25, he says, 
in meekness, in meekness, we instruct those that oppose themselves. The last thing is this, we fight the battle in meekness. And somebody might say, you don't fight battles with meekness? Doesn't that mean weakness? Doesn't that mean submissiveness? But there's this beautiful duplexity to that word where, yes, the part of it is that we submit. We submit ourselves to the will of God. We submit ourselves to the gospel. We submit ourselves to all that he has for us. But the second thing is that we are acting in the full sense of the word meekness. Uh, the full sense of the word meekness, the translation is moderation, like when he says later, let your moderation be known to all men. Uh, it's humility. And how many of us need to grow in that area when working with others and dealing with others? Uh, and then there's a submissive quality. So you go back to verse 25 and he says, in humility, in reasonableness, uh, it, with submissiveness, instruct those that oppose themselves. He's saying, hey, listen, you can't force them to change. You can't force them to believe, but it goes back to this theme again where he says, but as for you, what are you going to do? A lot of us were burned out. We're frustrated because of decisions that other people make. A lot of times we're burned out and frustrated by decisions people make because of the way they impact us. But when we have a humble approach, when we have a selfless approach, all of a sudden we start to see what Paul said in verse 25, that they're opposing themselves they're hurting themselves. And so we go back to the beginning when Paul says, hey, commit the truth to faithful men. He says, hey, don't, don't try to force yourself upon every single person in the world. And man, do we see that right now more than ever of Christians sometimes just acting like jerks, trying to force the world to conform to its image instead of being Jesus to the world, instead of bringing Jesus to the world. But he says instead, hey, find those that believe the gospel, find those that are committed and strive alongside of them. Uh, pursue righteousness alongside of those that call upon him with a pure heart. Find those that you can work alongside, that you can serve and love Jesus with. We're going to lead the way with humility. And we, we do that by acknowledging that this isn't just about us. We're going to pursue our calling with laser focus and we do that when we stop wasting our time with all the things that don't matter. And we're going to fight the battle with meekness. This is not weakness, but it's a heart that is fully submitted to God and humbly committed to his will. That's our goal for our lives as Christians and as a Christian community at Grace 412 and even at, uh, as a Grace Church family as a whole. And so that's our prayer this weekend, this week, as we continue in this study. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 next week. I'm going to try to cut these lessons and these podcasts down a little bit, but if we go over 20 minutes or so, that just gives you that much more content. Hopefully this is helpful, and hopefully we'll talk to you guys next week. 